We want to welcome our congregation this morning as we open our Bibles to the 95th Psalm. Psalm 95, thank you. And we'd like to welcome everyone who is here today. It is a wonderful, beautiful sight for God's people to convene together in a house of worship. What a marvelous thing that is. We'd also like to welcome all of our Israelite people that will be tuning in to Rumble. We are so blessed to have you join with us. And every word that is spoken today, we send in the name of Christ our Savior, and for the glory of His kingdom to all who are gathered here this morning and to those of you who are away from here, let us pray. God, our Father, we would be remiss if we do not remember that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That except you keep the city the watchman may awake, but it will be in vain. Father, we know that unless you keep watch over your covenant family, we would be in great danger. So we humbly thank you today, not only for your divine intervention and protection over our lives, but we praise you and we thank you now that you would send the Holy Spirit to guide our Bible lesson, to let the Word of God speak to us. And Father in heaven, we would be so humbled to give you all the praise and glory and honor for the joy and pleasure of opening the Word of God as Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. And we thank you very, very much. Guide us on our way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. If you look down at the words of Psalm 95, dear family, you will see that we've already been there this morning. We sing that every morning prayer service, we call it the Venite. It is Psalm 95. Now look closely at that psalm and go down to verse 7, where it says, For He is our God, we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand, Today, if you will hear his voice. Can we all say that phrase together? Today, if ye will hear his voice. The rest of this psalm is connected to an Old Testament event that we're going to look at here this morning. And I'd like for you to read with me from Psalm 95, and we'll begin at verse number 8. And our lesson today will be entitled, Israel at Kadesh Barnea, The Tragic Price of Unbelief. What happened at Kadesh Barnea. A whole generation of Israelites lost their salvation. It was one of the most tragic events in the history of the Israelite people. I don't know any other time in history, I'm sure there may have been, where, where God just wrote off an entire generation. That's, that's almost unbelievable, folks. That an entire generation 
it, it almost makes me want to weep to think that a whole generation gave up their faith, walked away from their faith. It, it's it's Im- almost impossible to believe that it happened. But the truth is, it did happen. And we don't want it to happen to us, do we? Because there's always danger that we could be numbered in a generation that would just give up their faith. Now, we might feel very, you know, solid here today. We might feel very comfortable in our belief system. And we may be of the mind that we're very secure. But beloved, we should never grow complacent in in the truth that God has brought you into. It's, it's It's something that's so valuable. It's it's like something, the most priceless thing you could possibly have in your hand, and then you would lose it. Just lose it all at once. That's what happened at Kadesh Barnea. A whole generation of Israelites threw up their hands, walked away from their faith, and God gave them over to a reprobate condition. Let's join our voices together. Actually, we're going to turn to Psalm 95, and we're going to read verse 6 to the end of that little psalm. So please join me. I'm at Psalm 95, beginning at verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are His people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. As we think about that generation that just simply walked away from their salvation. Now there's a lot of theological thought that could be said about that. We're going to turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. This story, this narrative in the Bible story of Israel is so profound that it appears in the psalmist David's writings. It's sprinkled in psalms more than once. It is encompassed in two full chapters of New Testament narrative. It takes up two full chapters of Old Testament narrative. And we need to know there is a reason why God incorporated so much repetitive talk about Kadesh Barnea. Because, church, I fear, I fear we live in a generation that is walking away from their faith. We have church buildings that are emptying out every week across America for lack of interest, closing down church buildings for lack of interest. It's happening. You can look it up and figure out how many churches are closing every week in this country. 
People are walking away from their faith in this generation. There's a, a contagious, infectious falling away underway in this country. So today our lesson entitled, Today, If You Will Hear His Voice. Remember that's what we just read in Psalm 95. So let's go now to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. And we'll begin, and I, I really want to thank you for turning there and following along with me here. Let's go to Hebrews 3, verse 7. Together. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear His voice. Today, if ye will hear His voice. We heard that before over in Psalm 95. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. We read that before. Take heed, brethren. Now, this is new. We didn't read the next verse in Psalm 95, and we won't read it in all the other places where Kadesh Barnea is mentioned. So, there's a message here in Hebrews attached to the event of Kadesh Barnea, and we as God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-washed Christians need to hold on to this admonition coming up. Look at verse number 12 and 13. They are priceless to everyone sitting here this morning. These are priceless words. Let's read them. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast, steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, today, if ye will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years. Now, hold it for a moment. It says here, For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Now, setting Moses aside, out of that entire generation, how many survivors were there? A whole generation, how many survivors, not counting Moses? Two. Two people survived. Out of right at between two and a half to three million Israelites. Now, we're not talking about children. The children all survived. That's a message for us as well. If you want your children to be blessed and double blessed, then you remain faithful. You stay solid. You stay steadfast. You, parents, be anchored. Be immovable. Let your sons and your daughters look and say, without a doubt, my daddy and my mother are firm, God-fearing believers. They're not going to go anywhere and neither am I. Your sons and daughters need to grow up 
in that kind of an influence. So we come back now to verse number 17. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now we can paraphrase that real easily to read, but they could not enter into the kingdom because of in, in unbelief. The kingdom is the ultimate rest that we're, we're reaching for. The kingdom of God, glorious kingdom that will one day fill this earth. That is our great sabbatical rest that's coming. But we've got to journey through the wilderness to get to that kingdom. And that's where the danger lies. In walking away from our faith as we make our journey to the kingdom. Now, so far we've run into that little phrase, today if you will hear his voice. And you know, there's something about that. It's almost like God is saying to every one of us, Today, can you hear my voice? God may be saying to all of us, Harden not your hearts. That's a repentant statement. A hardened heart is a calloused heart. An insensitive heart. A heart that is satisfied and comfortable in sin. A heart that is not worried about your state before a holy God. A hardened heart is a heart that is not yielded to God. In full faith and yielded in the simplicity of a, just a humble and contrite spirit. There's a verse found in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. And that verse tells us that God looks at those who out of a good heart, a poor, they don't, they don't have a hardened heart. They've got a pliable heart. There are people that do not live in pride, who are not arrogant, people who are humble with each other, people who are gracious and courteous with one another, that treat each other you know, in a humble sort of way. And they also tremble at the word of God. So we're going to turn now, if you'll notice, to chapter 4. Remember that God didn't put those chapter divisions in the Bible. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you seem to come short of it. So chapter 4 continues this whole discussion here. So the, the, the cry here is, God is saying today, hear my voice, O Israel. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the wilderness like our ancient Israelite forebears did. So we're going to turn now and look at Kadesh Barnea. You know, uh, it's, it's really, really comforting this morning to sit here in this sanctuary because 
we can easily, very easily, and very quickly allow our human nature to just make us believe that we're really anchored. I'm really anchored. I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this faith. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to be moved. But how quickly, how quickly can somebody be uprooted and walk away, walk away. And in walking away from their faith, they give up eternal life. Lest some come up short, as we read. How quick can that happen? Well, let me, let me give you a little example, folks. And I seldom do this, but I need to do this right now. I need to show you how quickly people can walk away. How quick it can happen. If you were here in June of 1980, we were in the little sanctuary up on the corner. There are people here this morning that will remember this well. And we're having a service. It was on a Sunday because we had yet tra not transitioned yet from Sunday to Sabbath. So we're all seated there and we're having a wonderful service. It's about 11 o'clock or a little after. And we had just started the Bible lesson and barely moved into it when a huge sound sounded overhead right over the chapel. It was a helicopter. It was a startling thing because it, it felt like it was going to land on the roof. And we even had a couple of people go outside to see what was going on. Simultaneously, two big, long motorhomes drove up and parked in the parking lot with colored glass that you could not see through. Men began to step out of that. Some of them were dressed in camouflage. One of them had a large camera that they set up on a tripod right out in the yard of the little sanctuary up on the corner. Not knowing exactly what was going on, we couldn't figure it out. We didn't know what was happening. So we dismissed service. There's no way in the world you're going to have a Bible lesson with a helicopter just leaving, making a racket, and all kinds of people pouring out of motorhomes, and you wonder what they're getting ready to do. So we dismissed the congregation, and everyone sort of pledged not to say a word to anybody. So when they wanted to interview people, nobody would talk to them. Well, we all went, got in our cars, and left left them sitting there with their big, beautiful camera present on that event was one of the leading voices on NBC television. I could give you his name, but it wouldn't mean anything to most of you. His first name is Brian. How many can fill in the last name. Well, we had no idea what they were up to, honestly. God being our witness, we did not know what was happening. But I find in the aftermath of that, something happened. We didn't hear a word after that for days went by. Weeks went by. We almost forgot the event, even though it was startling and disruptive in every way. Later that summer, in late August, early September, Dolores and I happened to be in Denver, Colorado, holding a Bible meeting, gathering. And my mother called me and said, have you listened to the national news? 
And I said, no, I haven't listened to any news. She said, well, we're on the national news. Come home quickly. Now, I don't know if you people remember John Chancellor. He was the newscaster that all America listened to every evening at 6 o'clock. That was in a different time of history. That's when people trusted the national media. But what I'm about to tell you now would give you plenty of evidence to prove that they could not be trusted back in 1980 either. John Chancellor started at the end of this church road with a camera. That's when the road was still dirt. He followed this, ro this road right up to the door of the camera while playing Frankenstein music. Weird music. He focused the lens of the camera on the doors of the sanctuary and then proceeded to say the most horrible, unspeakable words that a well-known American by the name of Vernon Jordan, head of the National Urban League, that his assassination had been planned inside this sanctuary. That went out on national news. The next day on the Today Show with Tom Brokaw and Jane Pauley, who we renamed Palsy, Jane, Polly, and Tom Brokaw. How many remember those names? There's a few hands. They took almost one of their primary segments to even elongate, exaggerate the story. By that time, the name of this church was blackened. Well, what has that got to do with Kadesh Barnea? Here's what it has to do with it. In 1980, we had a wonderful seminary unfold here for an entire year. We had a whole troop of young men, most of them young married men, who were going to be ordained into the ministry, and they were going to go out and plant churches in little congregations that were already established and just waiting for a preacher. Some of the people in this congregation today know some of those places. There was a wonderful body of people in Shreveport, Louisiana. Wisconsin was alive with Israelites. Three different locations in Wisconsin were ready to receive a preacher. They were organized Bible gatherings, ready for a preacher. We were preparing the preachers, and one of those congregations already had a building. It was in Slinger, Wisconsin. And the preacher would have been a young man by the name of William Benzine, who was married to a wonderful girl, lady. They had some children. So come May of 1980, we had a wonderful ordination service. All these young men are being ordained in the little chapel. And assisting that ordination was a relative of Edmund Randolph, who helped write the Constitution of the United States. His first name was Rolland, and he was a very wonderful man. God bless him, he's gone to his rest now. 
He was a graduate of Purdue University, was a wonderful theologian, and he was one of the leading teachers in the Institute in 1980. Now, there were two brothers, the Smith brothers. They were from Missouri, and both of them had potential congregations, one in Aurora, Missouri, and one down by Springfield. These were people waiting for their preacher to arrive, waiting for them to be ordained and, shall we say, at least somewhat ready to take on the mantle of being a leader in a church. We had another wonderful, just charismatic sort of guy from Casper, Wyoming. His name was Ronald Karras. How many remember Ron and his wife, Jody? They were wonderful people, charismatic, and just delightful people. Now, I'm not going to go through the rest of the list. Do you know that within 48 hours after the cameras on national news with John Chancellor and Tom Brokaw sounded their propaganda. Those people were all picking up, packing up, and getting ready to leave. What happened? Their families, their loved ones, who lived in various locations, called them and said, you come home. And they did. They skedaddled out of here like lightning. That whole entire year of theological training was lost almost overnight. Now, you would have to realize the enormity of what that meant to this congregation. At that time, they made up seven families, and four of them had quite a number of children. So, at that moment in time, that was huge. That would be like, you know, a third of this congregation just picking up and packing up and saying goodbye. Some of them never said goodbye. And the family, one of the families, were so eager to get out that they went and bought an Airstream travel trailer, loaded their clothes up, and left their home and a few livestock to be sold by a neighbor. That's how fast they disappeared. They never returned. Now, over the years, I've met some of these people at meetings. And they are, they are totally totally melted down over what happened, but they don't know what to do about it. I only mention that because on May 29, 1980, Vernon Jordan, head of the National Urban League, was a black man who was with a white woman. His wife had become very angry with him, and she hired a hitman. They were in a motel in Fort Wayne, Indiana, when someone tried to shoot him and kill him. They missed him. I, I do believe he got injured, but he was with Martha Coleman, a white woman, at the time. And his, his wife, the colored man's wife, was really angry that he was trying to associate with a white woman. Well, later, 
a gentleman by the name of Joseph Paul Franklin from Utah was arrested. And uh, I don't, I never followed through to see if he was ever convicted, but they arrested him for the shooting on May 29th, 1980. We were visited here in June, and John Chancellor came out with his report then, and the next day, Tom Brokaw, Jane Polly, and what I think should be mentioned here at this point would be the fact that at that particular season of, hi of history, it was still very tumultuous in this country. We were still reeling from the civil rights years of the 1960s, and there was a lot of tension building up in this country. Now, how did that happen? How in the world did they, why did they pick us? Well, here's what happened. In 1980, at Passover, there was a man who came to Passover, 1980, from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He went back to Fort Wayne, Indiana, after he attended Passover, and in conversation with someone, loose talk, they were discussing some of the foolishness going on in Washington, and he just made the off statement that somebody needed to put this guy away named Vernon Jordan. When this attempted hit took place, whoever he's talked to in Fort Wayne, they called the authorities and said, I think I know who might have been guilty. They went and interviewed that guy and they tracked him every place he had been. And they found out he had been here at Passover and they didn't look any further. They just assumed, assumed, assumed and built their case on that very flimsy, flimsy hearsay bit of information. But I only, I brought that up only churched to let everybody know here how quickly, how speedily people can walk away from their faith. Now, here's what I would promise you, church. I would promise you if you knew some of these people, you would say they're just as solid, just as secure as anyone that you know in your circle of love and friendship here today. But in a time of crisis, they melted away like a popsicle on a hot August day. Totally, totally melted away. Like a sparkler at the 4th of July. They light it up. And then they, all the sparkles just went away. So how many remember that event on 19, in 1980? If you know, if you remember that event, stand up. Just please stand up. Now, anyone here that would like to have some witnesses, there's, there's all kinds of people right here that were right on the scene when that happened. So now we're going to go back to the Old Testament and we're going to look at Kaddish Barnea. How would a whole generation of people walk away from their faith? We're talking about a, a generation that left Egypt at the Exodus. They walked dry shod through the Red Sea. They, with their own eyes, watched the waters of the Red Sea roll back. Before their eyes, they watched and witnessed that miracle and walked on dry ground across that tongue of the Red Sea. This was the generation that 
witnessed manna from heaven. Manna. Angel food from heaven. It's described something like angel food cake in the Bible. That's the generation that watched water gush from the rock and water an entire body of people with all their animals. Can you imagine it? Water coming out like that. And that same generation in the wilderness of Sinai gave up their faith. I, I kind of think, church, that's the reason that this is re repetitiously, this story is repetitiously recounted. God says, if you go to the Psalmist David, you're going to hear about Kadesh Barnea. If you go to the books of the law, you're going to read about Kadesh Barnea. If you go to the New Testament and read in the narrative of the New Testament, you're going to read about Kadesh Barnea. I get the idea that God wants us to really think hard about this. Today, if you will hear His voice and harden not your heart, If you know anyone that's living in a hardened heart, they need rescued. They need rescued before God gives them over to reprobation. We'll begin reading at Numbers chapter 13. Now we're going to do this real quickly. So hold fast. Because we got a lot of ground to cover and we're going to cover it very quickly. And the Lord God spake unto Moses saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers, shall you send a man, everyone a ruler among them. And Moses by the commandment of the Lord Jehovah sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men which were heads of the children of Israel. So we're going to send one man, head of every tribe, and we're going to send them on a mission to go spy out the land and check out the promised land. It would be no different than if God said, okay, I want 12 men to go spy out the kingdom that's coming. Go spy out the kingdom. What's it going to be like? Spy out the land of Canaan. Now, here's something that everybody needs to know. God had told Israel, when you come through the wilderness of Sinai, we're going to take and make conquest of the promised land. God had no plan for Israel to wander for 40 years before an entire generation died out so they could go into the promised land. God was ready for them to go into the promised land from the get-go. So, do you know what happened here in Numbers 13? You know there's a verse in 2 Timothy 2.15 that says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, right, dividing the, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because God, God had been appealed to by people that didn't have faith to make a conquest of an unknown land. All the Israelites knew is that land is filled with Canaanites, Amorites, Jebusites, Amalekites, Parasites, I mean, every kind of ite you can think of. They knew that land was filled with the enemy, but they didn't know any particulars. Now, 
Hold your finger in Numbers 14 and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter number 1. And we'll go to verse nine, number 9. I'm in Deuteronomy 1.9. And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which ye saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. Watch closely. And I said unto you, Ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give us unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. How many see that? God said, go take the land. You'll be victorious. I'll give you the land. But do you know what the Israelites wanted God to do? Let them go survey the land. Watch carefully in the verses that follow now. And you came near to me, verse 22, every one of you and said, we will send men before us and they shall search us out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. Now, you may not see that, but that's a sign of weakness. They want God, they want more detail than God gave them. God said, go and take the land. Israel said, yes, we will, but we want to survey that land first. We want to send an expedition to pioneer and go out and bring back a report. Tell us, where do you think the weakest city is? Where do you think we can, what, what point can we assault and take first? When God gives a command, church, that's all you need. Because the rest is all a matter of trust. God commands, we obey, and all the consequences are in God's hand. Now you want to remember, church, that history, is, there's always an overarching sovereign hand of God working. God never goes to sleep. So think of your life this way. Life and the world we live in is like a stage, a big stage. We're all actors on that stage. We're over on the recital hall. We're an actor on the stage. Some of those actors are actors that are living in harmony with a sovereign God. Some of those actors are evil people that are being ruled over by an invisible power called Satan and his dominions. Cosmic world of evil and darkness. God gives all of us free will. God tells us, look, I'm not going to wake you up this morning and tell you it's the Sabbath day and you ought to be going to church. God isn't going to send you a messenger, knock on your door. He might, but he, he's not bound to. God lets us exercise choice, and we're responsible for the choices we make. But this superintending arc of God's sovereignty means that God's in charge, and when people make foolish mistakes... God isn't going to lose the battle. He's going to take foolish mistakes 
and make something good out of them. Now, all the little children of that whole generation at Kadesh Barnea, those people worried if, they, if their children would, would survive. They were concerned about their little ones. No less than we are today. You know, we're concerned about the future of our children. I am. I think about it. But do you know, folks, here's the deal. If the parents are faithful, steadfast, anchored in their faith, God will take care of their children for them. You've got to trust God. God took those little tiny children at whatever age they may have been, everyone under 20, and he used that generation to make a conquest of Canaan. After 40 years, they became the generation that Joshua led into the promised land. Joshua took those children that grew up wandering for 40 years in the wilderness while their parents all died out. And when the parents were all gone, grandparents were all gone, and only Joshua and Caleb are left, together with all those children that have grown up, the story of Joshua and the conquest of the promised land unfolds. So now, at Kadesh Barnea Church, what happened? They were told to go out and spy out the land because God, God wanted them to take the land. They said, no, we've got to search this land out first. So they send out a search party. Now notice in verse 18, 17. I'm in Numbers 13, 17, and Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, said unto them, Get ye up this way southward and go up into the mountain. See the land, what it is, and what the people, and the people that, that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what the cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of good courage, and bring the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rahab, and as men came to Hamath, and they ascended by the south and came into Hebron. And we'll drop down to verse 23. They came into the brook of Eshcol, cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bury it between two upon a staff. I can't imagine a vine of grapes that was heavy enough that it required two men to carry them. That's what I'm reading here. Verse 25, they returned from searching the land after 40 days. They came, or they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and all the congregation under the wilderness of Paran, Kadesh, brought back word unto them, showed them the fruit of the land. They brought back the fruit of the land in their hand. And they told him and said, We came into the land, whither thou sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. It's a land of milk and honey. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled, and very great, and moreover we saw the children of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. Canaanites dwell by the sea. Verse 30, a man of great courage steps up. 
Caleb still the people, because you could hear, can't you just hear that crowd of people saying, we can't go up against that kind of a, a, a mess of people. You know what the sons of Anak are. They're giants. And they think we're going to go fight those kind of people. They think we're going to go fight against people that have walled up cities. Who are they kidding? Can you hear the murmuring? Listen. Can you hear those Israelites murmuring? I can. I can hear them. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome. But the men that went up with him, the other ten, said, We be not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we. They brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants of Anak. So, Mattathias, what are we going to do? There's giants in that land. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. So you can see now how fear and unbelief are gripping the hearts of the people in the face of a crisis. Go back to the year 2020, church, to the lockdown of this country. Go back to the fear and the hysteria that gripped millions and millions of people. And like little bleeding sheep, <laughs> they bowed down to the government. Stay in your homes. Healthy people. Quarantine yourself. You know, they've never quarantined healthy people in the history of the world. And we told a whole nation, self-quarantine. Stay home. Stay home. Close the schools down. They closed the churches down as non-essential. And shepherds, 99% of the shepherds, the preachers, complied. They closed their churches. In a matter of one 24-hour period, a whole generation threw away their faith. They suspended all the Bill of Rights under the United States Constitution. Everyone was censored that tried to say any kind of a warning at that season. You were deplatformed if you said anything. Deplatformed. It was a time of great panic, fear, hysteria, but it underscored a generation that did not have belief sufficient to hold them secure in their faith. They gave up their faith. How many of you know that there are churches that have never reopened? There are churches that never went back from their vacation. 
we live in a very, very significant season of time, folks. And we're going to watch and we're going to be observing, sadly, more and more Americans walking away from their faith. And today God is saying, today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the wilderness. Now, we've run out of time, but you know chapter 14 tells us that the people actually told Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Would to God we had died in this wilderness. They'd already had a death wish. We're going to make us a captain and we're going to go back to Egypt. You can read it in chapter 14. Worst of all, they begin to gather stones together to go stone two guys. They're going to stone Joshua and they're going to stone Cable. Of stone uh, Caleb. They're going to throw rocks at Caleb and Joshua because they're in chapter 14, they're still trying to get the people to go. The rest of that chapter 14 is, is really worth your rereading today on nice Sabbath afternoon. Because what happened was, God judged that unbelieving generation. And he told him, you're going to wander around in this wilderness till you all die. Then I'm going to take your children and they will reach the promised land. They're going to make a conquest of Canaan. And I'm going to keep Joshua and Caleb here to lead them. Because they were people who did not lose their faith. So the moral of this Bible study is. Today if you will hear his voice. Harden not your hearts. Keep a penitent, humble, soft heart toward God. I didn't say to bow down and kiss the enemy. When they come out with a new pandemic, a new virus, a new injection, the answer is no and no. Not for me. Not for you. But we want to be humble before our God, and we want to be humble with each other gracious toward each other and not let our hearts become hardened, filled with pride and arrogancy, but remain humble, humble before our God. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the wilderness. Today, today, if you will hear his voice. Let's pray. God our Father, we come to the end of this lesson today and we humbly bow before the majesty of your name and we pray, Lord my God in heaven, that whatever the future holds, that we as God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-war, spirit-filled Christians will hold fast to the faith that you have called us into. Let us not give up. Let us not walk away. Help us, Lord God, to be strong and resolute. And when trials and temptations come, let us be a Caleb and a Joshua and say, 
we are well able to overcome. God bless you all. The congregation may stand. You're dismissed.